Hi, everyone. Welcome to the December 18th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzutti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right to it. An eight-hour Colorado legislative hearing took place Tuesday to investigate allegations of voter fraud during the 2020 elections. The hearing was initiated by Republican Representative Lori Sane and ended in a bipartisan determination that there was no evidence of any fraud. Penny Cahoon, we go to you first. Uh, you had this uh, hearing seemingly coming out of nowhere. There, weren't, uh, there wasn't a, a hue and cry from Coloradans wondering if we had uh, election fraud in Colorado yet. We had this hearing and other headlines regarding voter fraud or really the absence of it. What did you make the headlines this week? Well, we came out with this agreement, their bipartisan agreement, but we went into the hearing with a bipartisan agreement that there hadn't been voter fraud. You had Wayne Williams, the former Secretary of State for Colorado, Republican, who had signed the contract with Dominion back in 2015. He'd already said it was fine. You had Ken Buck, the representative and head of the Colorado Party, before this saying he didn't have any problems with Colorado. Uh, but meanwhile, Lori Sane still has to hold this eight-hour hearing that at least got to bring in Jenna Ellis, who we all have suddenly learned was fired by the Weld County DA's office because she'd done a horrible job. So it had everything. And let's not forget, Dominion Voting Systems is headquartered in the old spaghetti factory. <laughs> this story, who you've got to love it when a national story comes home to roost in Colorado, which everyone agrees is the gold standard for good elections, that there was no fraud here. Republicans agree it, Democrats agree on that, but we still have to waste all that time on an eight-hour hearing. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. As we talked before the show, hearings in December for the legislature can happen. Committees meet here and there. Were you surprised to see this one, especially as Patty noted, that even Republicans statewide have talked about that fraud has not been a problem in Colorado? Um, no, because I think it's the, the duty of the legislature to have hearings like this and continue to improve our, our system. The, the Colorado Constitution says the General Assembly shall pass laws to secure the purity of elections and guard against abuses of the elective franchise. So in this time when there are a lot of concerns about abuses of the elective franchise, uh, I, I think it's fine for the legislature to have a Colorado-specific hearing and come up with, the, I think, the answer that the Patty and other people expected, uh, that there wasn't a problem this year in Colorado. Obviously, the Trump's margin of defeat was so large uh, in, in Colorado, there's no amount of shenanigans that, that could have made any difference. But the fact that our elections are clean in general doesn't mean there's no room for improvement, because some elections are, are decided by fewer than 100 votes, so even a little fraud uh, could change the result. And as, as Joey wrote in an excellent article for Colorado Politics, the Secretary of State Ellis made a, uh, uh, made a big mistake in... Um, uh, Sorry, the Secretary of State made a big mistake in sending out please register to vote postcards to dead people and, and non-citizens. And our, some of our past Secretaries of State, uh, Gessler and Williams, have uh, come up with concrete proposals to improve data uh, security and, and verification. Why not follow those? Referring to Jenna Griswold there. Jenna Gris yeah. Sorry. That's that's no problem. Jenna Griswold, not Jen Ellis. Very, <laughs> very important to get that distinction. <laughs> May I, 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 I definitely wanted to underscore that one. Thank you. Well, let, let's go to some of our remote guests. We start with Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist. Natasha, uh, what did you make of this hearing? It, it, it came up as almost as fast as it went away, uh, but uh, do we think we came anything away that we didn't know already? 
Well, I think that's one of the the concerns is that there was an implication that maybe some constituents had called for this or sort of raised questions. And so Colorado needed to look into this. I think at this point, anyone who's still questioning questioning Colorado's election system and the integrity of it is is probably not going to be convinced even by, you know, hours and hours and hours of testimony. What I found interesting was that it was sort of a roll call of past secretary of states. We have, you know, information from Scott Gessler. We have Wayne Williams making appearances, Jenna. Griswold is is coming in with um, a written statement as well. And I think it just shines a light on how important the Secretary of State position has become, not just in Colorado, but across the country. This is not something new. It's been building for many, many years. I mean, certainly dating back to Bush v. Gore, but but beyond that as well. And I think anyone who's going to be in politics in the future who's looking at that role should know how uh, national and local election can become. And we got our last remote guest already uh, previewed here, Joey Bunch, Deputy Managing Editor at Colorado Politics. Joey, it's great to have you back. Uh, you were at, uh, you reported on the hearing. Uh, what do you think? All hat, no cattle? Well, you know, we can't divorce it from the national context here. You know, we don't have a problem with our elections here in Colorado, but there's this national effort to cast doubt on our voting process. You know, Trump's been doing that since last summer, and he's certainly been doing it since Election Day, and it's been lucrative for him. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars questioning our voting system. But, you know, just didn't bring any proof, none whatsoever. And the Colorado Republicans backing this hearing, they didn't bring any either. She said it was the legislature's job to find it. No, not really. You know, our legislatures, they don't have criminal hearings. They don't do investigations. The best they can do is do an audit of the uh, of the Secretary of State's office. They should do that. You know, they should do, they should listen to these concerns because half of Colorado has them. And just as Jenna Griswold did with sending out these purse cards, she's inviting suspicion. So have the hearings if you want, say Colorado did a good job, and then move forward from there. But the more you resist it, the more suspicion you invite. Labor issues are surfacing amidst the coronavirus pandemic and its economic consequences. This week, it was determined that OSHA would not be citing Denver's Capitol Hill King Supers for safety violations after three employees died of the virus earlier this year. Meanwhile, UC health workers have announced plans to form a union due to concerns with understaffing. David, it seems that we're getting to some murky uh, legal employment matters here. We've heard about liability. We've heard staffs talking about unionizing. Are there some precedents to follow, or is this new territory? Well, for the uh, UC workers, it, it's, it's very straightforward. Uh, UC Health Workers United is part of Communications Workers of America, a large national union. And that's an, and you, you don't think of nurses as part of communications workers, but that's an example of how lots of unions that were once in the, uh, the private sector uh, with lots of members due to declining membership there are, are picking up members by, by adding uh, government workers in, in, in new fields. Uh, Colorado law does not require that the government uh, allow uh, allow the union to negotiate on behalf of all the workers or even the, the workers who who choose to join the union, but still the right to join the union to work collectively for one's perceived interest is, is a very Im- important and, and essential right. Uh, the union is saying that there's, nurses are sometimes short-staffed. They normally care for six pa- four patients at a time. Sometimes they have to care for six. Uh, UC Health says, yeah, we, we know, and we're responding to that by trying to hire temporary nurses like traveling nurses. 
Natasha, UC Health is a growing company with a big impact here in Colorado. Uh, do you think this was a shot across the bow for the, the management of the company, or do you think it might set a trend for other healthcare workers in Colorado? Well, at the very least, they should be listening closely. And I, and I think that's a bigger topic here. I, I'm not an expert in, in labor law or, or negotiations, but I do know that at the core of the these conversations, and we, we've actually seen a lot of these sort of conversations happen in journalism in recent years too. Lots of talks is sort of increasing the number of unions. At, at the core of it is a question of how are workers treated? How are they able to communicate with management? And how are decisions made about their well-being, about the people that they serve? And I think that's at the heart of all of this. So yes, I think the management and the administration should be listening to it. Um, and oh, and hopefully that's that's part of the trend that we see. I mean, uh, of course, a pandemic is going to expose uh, issues in a workplace or concerns in a workplace. And I, I, my greatest hope is that as we move into the new year, that they're maybe all sitting down to the table to have discussions about what could make the workplaces safe um, and, and equitable for everyone. Joy, the whole idea of employer liability is becoming a bigger conversation, even nationally. I mean, it was part of the negotiations on the latest relief package talks. Uh, but now we're seeing it, it part of the Colorado headlines with some Colorado companies. Do you think we're probably looking at more cases like this, at least people bringing it up with, with companies here in Colorado? Yeah, I think when there's stress on the economy and there's stress on labor, that's what you're going to see. You know, I think this is a trend that we're going to see, you know, Unions have been in decline for decades. You know, a lot of things are about to change. This could be one of them. And I need to disclose something. I was the Denver Post president for the Denver News Guild for a term. So I, but, you know, I see both sides of the issue because I had a love hate relationship with the union, which most of the time I hated. But uh, strength in numbers and a common voice always speaks louder. You know, as bad as I was at, uh, at at being a union president, I see the value and I see the problems. You know, the people that are thinking about joining a union, they need to look at what they're getting for their money. They need to, to define, decide what it is they need and then see if the union's providing it for them. You know, otherwise, it's just one more fool in their back pocket. <laughs> Patty, uh, were you surprised to not see cita- uh, 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 citations for the uh, King Supers, it's not a citation, being cited uh, by OSHA with what happened at the, car- the Capitol Hill King Supers? I wasn't, partly because the groceries, grocery stores have such a tricky job with what they're doing. Let's say G- JBS, the meatpacking company, they deserved every citation they got because of how they didn't communicate with their workers, the work conditions they had. That was bad. With the supermarkets, you have these really, really tricky situations. Yes, you want to be sure you're open with your workers about who might have come down with with COVID, but you've, you've got them getting yelled at by the customers because they're wearing masks, because they're not wearing masks. What you hope is that the company, not just any supermarket company, but every employer is being sensitive to the challenges all employees are facing now, whether it's their own fears, whether it's the fears other people are putting in them by their their behavior. It's just tough. 
The ramifications of remote learning and various different policies being in place in the October count day are coming to light for school districts in Colorado. School districts across the state are facing significant cuts to their budget as enrollment has dropped by 30,000 students, the biggest drop Colorado has seen since 1988. The announcement arrived on the same day that news of Denver was among the top cities for people to move to during the pandemic. Natasha, we start with you on this one. 30,000 students is a huge drop, especially considering that more people moved to Colorado and seemingly would bring their kids with them uh, during this uh, in, in 2020. Uh, what do you, how do you think schools go from here? That is more than a million dollar question. That's a several million dollar billion, perhaps trillion dollar question. Um, the question is where right now is where did the children go? We've known for months that this is probably going to, we were going to probably see enrollment decreases across the district, but it's also across the country. This is not something unique to either Colorado or to the, the Denver um, public school system. Now we're starting to understand a little bit more about where they've gone and um, what grade levels were most infected, affected. We're seeing a lot with preschool are the pre-K and kindergarten people deciding to sort of red shirt their kindergartners and, and maybe bringing them back in, in the following year where it might be more, more safe. But ultimately, all this tells us is that there are numbers and that means there's going to be less money in our school. It doesn't give us information on how to make up for that money, how to reach out to those students who have not um, shown up in the system yet, and, and, and nor does it do anything for planning for 2021 and beyond. Denver Public Schools Colorado schools, nationally, our schools is going to be a major, major topic during our recovery efforts next year. Joey, do you think the legislators next year in the session are going to uh, do something about this? And can they? Well, there's not a lot that they can do, but they're certainly thinking about it. You know, I was having this conversation with Chris Holbert the other day. He's the Senate minority leader, the, the leader of the Republicans in the upper chamber. And, you know, he, he put it he put it very well. He said, you know, with crisis comes opportunity, and we've certainly got a mighty big crisis. But, you know, we're going to be doing all kinds of things differently. And I'm, I'm confident that education is going to be one of the leading things that we do differently. I mean, I never would imagine that my basement would turn into a TV studio, but, but here we are. You know, we're all working at home more, and we're going out less. So I don't think education should be any different. It's just a matter of how we get there. You know, money is the $65,000 question, if only $65,000. And, you know, schools were underfunded before. I don't know where we're going to get this, but but I guarantee you broadband, Internet, and education are going to be the two biggest or among the two biggest issues in the upcoming legislative session that begins January 13th. Our legislative preview is coming up in Colorado politics next week, so check it out. Patty, if officials were having problems saying how serious October Count Day is, I think this can become their PSA announcement because clearly it made a big impact. How do you think officials respond? Well, the only good thing about this is everybody is literally in the same boat because the problem is nationwide, as Natasha pointed out. So you would hope on a federal level they start thinking maybe how they can adjust it for the count. In Colorado, they'll have to face it. The fact that people are moving here is no surprise. Colorado's been one of the top places for people to move pre-pandemic. So they're already that's already stressing a system. But DPS has more problems than just money, as we know. We have the leadership issue, the looking for the new superintendent issue. We have complaints. We just ran a piece this week about the teachers who are teaching online and getting not enough 
a support at all, no instruction, no training. So we have other problems before we get to funding what's going to happen with the funding when the legislature meets. David, do you think this is an opportunity? We talked about crisis being an opportunity. Is this an opportunity to get creative when it comes to education funding and other options? Uh, I I suppose creativity in the sense that the uh, lobbies are going to say, well, we have a formula for funding schools based on how many students you have, but now that that doesn't work for us well, we want to have a different formula. You know, the the drop in 88 was because more people were leaving the state than coming, and that's obviously not the the situation now. But it's, as with anything, when an enterprise cuts its services drastically, lots of customers leave. And online learning has been a, a great thing for lots of students, and it's, I hope public schools continue it, uh, to have it as an option. But for lots, it's no learning at all, uh, and that's particularly true for, for lots of younger kids. So it's no wonder that, that families are opting out and, and doing the education at home themselves or finding some other providers who will. The city of Denver is defending itself in a federal suit brought by a group of 10 people in Denver experiencing homelessness and the organization Denver Homeless Out Loud. The plaintiffs claim the homeless sweeps conducted by the city are inhumane, disorganized, and against CDC pandemic guidelines. Joey, we've already seen the city of Denver win a significant case when it came to the camping ban. Uh, Does this one feel much different? No, it doesn't. It seems like, you know, we're fighting this battle over and over. It's such a Sisyphean task that we're always rolling this stone uphill. But, you know, it's the season and there's no room at the end. And I think if Bethlehem, if Denver was Bethlehem, they would sweep the manger. You know, this is a vexing problem, and there's just no easy solution. You're right. City voters made it clear how they feel about it last year when they voted on the urban camping ban. So politically, I just don't know what Denver does except, you know, take up sides against the uh, against their own voters. You know, so we'll let the courts do it. You know, the biggest problem we have is neither side is willing to give up ground and compromise. And when you don't compromise, you have gridlock. And gridlock doesn't get anybody off the streets. Having joy in the program is like having someone just drop little nuggets of gold. And if you missed it, if Denver was Bethlehem, they would sweep the manger. Just gold, Joey. Well done. Uh, Patty, uh, is is this well-trod area for Denver that they don't have to worry about this one? Or is this different? Well, let's say if Denver were Bethlehem, maybe we would have three wise men coming here and telling us what to do, because clearly Denver doesn't know yet. We, you may remember the reason the uh, 300 went down is because the campaign said we can do better, the anti-ordinance campaign. Well, have we seen better? We Back in April, there was a plan to come up with safe camping sites. The city got behind it. city hasn't come up with a site. We have two that have opened so far because service providers have worked with churches to open safe camping sites so far. Now, we're two weeks into it. They seem to be doing well. One was right across the street from where there was a sweep. And 32 of the people who moved into this camping, this site out of 40 were from that encampment. So they were choosing to move into the safe camping site. It's a start, but it is not the solution. We are still in the doghouse, not the manger. <laughs> uh, David, uh, clearly we're not part of the different legal discussions. I know there's a lot of details here, but from what you can see uh, from the outside looking in, does this case feel much different or is this uh, kind of the same thing we've been hearing as cases against the city? It it seems like a case that doesn't have much to it in a legal sense. One of the claims is uh, that Denver didn't uh, 
go along with guidance from the Centers for Disease Control. Denver says it did. But it doesn't matter legally. Guidance is just guidance. It has no legal force. So there's no legal violation if you decide, I'm going to do the opposite of what the CDC guidance says. And then they say there's a Fourth Amendment violation. Uh, the Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures uh, because uh, people were removed from illegal encampments. Well, being kicked out of a place where you were trespassing and don't have the right to be is not a violation of the Fourth Amendment. Natasha, we go to you to wrap it up for us. It sounds like uh, Denver's still going to have more lawsuits to battle as we get into next year. Yeah, I'd love to be able to wrap it up. Wouldn't that be a, a nice end to 2020 if we could solve uh, the question of, of the unhoused and, and how to humanely address this issue in Denver? But I think therein lies part of the problem is that almost every week this could be a topic on the show. Um, certainly has been many, many weeks. And part of the problem, I think, is that we just don't, as a city, turn straight towards the topic and really look at how we deal with it. Now, I, I'm not sure there is a humane way to, to move someone from one place to another. Certainly there are concerns on all sides of the topic. But in 2021, I'll be interested to see if we can turn uh, a new page in this conversation or if it will be more of the same. And too often these conversations just end up in courts where we might get guidance, but not total clarity on what we should do to move forward. Well, it is time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, this month marks the 50th anniversary of the Environmental Protection Agency, which is an amazing accomplishment that no one's been really talking about because there are other things to talk about. In the meantime, of course, over the last four years, we've seen a major dismantling of environmental agencies around the country, thanks to Donald Trump. Uh, we, Our own David Bernhardt, head of the Interior, um, William Perry Penley, and now it looks like we actually have a great person coming in. Deb Hallam from New Mexico is going to be the head of the Interior Department. So maybe a long-term disgrace is going to turn around. David. What it looks like to be the impending cancellation of high school, winter, and, and spring sports. You know, um, physical health is really important, and physical health also plays a big role in mental health. And for a lot of high school athletes, uh, their, their team sports are, are really, really important and, and important to their long-term uh, success and health on every possible level. Natasha, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Uh, incredibly huge national and international story is, of course, this hack of, of U.S. government systems and, and, and businesses and so much more. The, the fact of the matter is in 2020, we have so much, so little broadband left to be able to um, tackle stories like this. But this one is huge news and should be getting more attention. It is something I think we will be talking about for a very long time. And um, I, I just look forward to a day when we have enough time to focus on more stories beyond COVID um, in, in our city and in our country. Joey Bunch, what's your disgrace of the week? Twice in the last month, people have come to the Colorado Capitol knowing they had been exposed to COVID-19. You know, there's two kinds of reckless. There's the kind that's foolish and there's the kind that'll send you to hell. That kind is both. 
your ear. Time to say something nice about somebody. You can almost make it a holiday edition. It's not quite you know, the fish of the holiday show, but you can put in whatever you like. Patty, go first. Uh, something nice about independent monitor Nick Mitchell. First of all, he was nice enough to announce he was leaving before we taped the show so we could be timely. He has done a great job as the independent monitor. He just turned out that huge report on the protests and how the response had been of the protests. He's going to L.A. for a new challenging job, but he has done a great job in Colorado. And that's a key point for all the big uh, Colorado officials out there, city or state. If you want to stay on Patty Calhoun's nice list this time of year, announce any big news right around Friday at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m., definitely before noon. The, the big news at 2 p.m. does us no good in this show. So, you know, just, just a note to the wise. David, you're saying something nice. Well, I guess we, Independence Institute, complied with the, the Calhoun Dizuti rule because <laughs> uh, uh, this morning the Independence Institute announced a major expansion of our School Choice for Kids website, which has always been there to help families choose the right school for, for their children's particular needs. But the, the site now has a big expansion of enrichment activities, uh, all huge amounts of links for every level of education, for math, science, social studies, history, on, on and on and on. And great resources if you're homeschooling or if you're in some kind of learning pod or if you're a professional educator in a traditional setting, lots of resources for you to use there, too. Natasha, it's your turn for Say Something Nice. I'm going to try to fit two in real quick. Um, first, to Mackenzie Scott, who announced a donation of $20 million to Mile High United Way. I can't imagine how excited that organization is to get a boost of cash like this in a year like we've had. Um, but in addition to the pharmacists who managed to squeeze extra doses out of the vaccine bottles, every little bit counts this year. And I just want to say kudos to them for doing their job extraordinarily well. I saw a great uh, Twitter post saying that was one of the great, uh, greatest Hanukkah miracles to come out of this year, <laughs> actually getting more uh, doses of the vaccine. That was pretty cool to see. Uh, Joey Bunch, yours say something nice. Well, Patty brought her up earlier, Representative Deb Halen, who's Joe Biden's nominee for Interior Secretary. She could be the first Native American and only the second woman to hold that post, joining Colorado's Gail Norton. Well, and I want to say something nice about an important person around here. Uh, if you enjoy all of our Time Machine episodes, uh, the person who is most responsible for them, uh, my partner in crime producing those, is Larry Patchett. He just celebrated a big birthday yesterday. Larimus, as he likes to call it. Uh, Larry, happy birthday, and thanks again for being here for this show. And before we go, two important reminders. One, year-end giving is critical to nonprofits like PBS 12. With the new tax law change, you can deduct up to $300 of charitable giving this year, you can make your gift before December 31st and qualify to have it doubled with a match from the, of up to $10,000 from the Evergreen Foundation. You can go to pbs12.org slash donate for details. It's a great way to uh, really maximize your impact uh, here at PBS 12. Also, this is our last regular taping for the year. Next Friday, Christmas Day, we will have our special year in review show looking back at the dumpster fire that was 2020. And on New Year's Day, we'll have our look ahead show to 2021, which will feature this very panel. We're, uh, we're, uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. It's got to be a very positive show because there's no way it can get worse, right? 
Well, uh, uh, be sure to tune in for both of those. We'll be very proud to join you uh, on uh, Christmas Day as, as all the, all the, the, the levity and celebration of the day uh, uh, continue. What a great way to uh, let the food settle uh, by watching Colorado Inside Out in our year in review show. You actually might want to take some Pepto before that. Uh, and then, of course, we'll be there on New Year's Day. For everybody here at PBS 12, thank you so much for watching. I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night. Thank you.